So today, we continue this new series on confronting the questions that God asks of people in the Bible. Um, the idea is that rather than just read it um, as a dialogue between those two, that, that we would ask ourselves the questions that God asks in the Bible because they have pertinence to us. And, and hopefully this morning you will pause as God asks his question this morning. And perhaps your, uh, uh, it will be an opportunity to see his larger plans and purposes and, and to see yourself in light of eternity rather than just in terms uh, of day by day. Now before we go into God's question, um, I want to begin with my favourite subject, me. Um, my uh, favourite bit in anticipating each of my three kids um, was the choosing of a name. Really enjoyed it. I spend a lot of time looking through lots of different sources. Uh, before each of my three kids saw the light of day, I would go through history, I would go through the songs I liked, I would go through the literature that I thought was important, and I would search them for names uh, that were rich in meaning, that had a kind of a heritage to them, and perhaps even a promise associated them. Um, and then I would come up with these glorious names, and then it had to pass two uh, rigorous tests. The first one was how they would uh, reverberate in the playground. You know, could my child survive a childhood uh, with that name while being teased about it in the playground? And second of all, with my uh, wife's finely tuned wisdom and common sense. It needed to pass those two tests uh, before anything went forward. Um, this sadly meant that Sophia wasn't called Cleopatra and Job couldn't be called Nebuchadnezzar, uh, much to my sadness. And Miles was not Moriarty, uh, which, um, which is probably why two people are needed uh, to make children. Um, and so when each one was born, we looked at them and, and we chose a name for them. We did it lovingly, you know, we, we wanted to bless them. We wanted to do it seriously, you know what, this is a name that they would carry for the rest of their lives. And we wanted to do it like prophetically. We, what did God, what is God going to do with this child? We want to look into the future and, and, and speak words over them. And, and so these are the things that we uh, uh, um, thought of when we gave names. And so Sophia is this beautiful lady of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Job is the hero in the oldest book in the Bible and is synonymous with faithfulness and prayer. And Miles, he was a great preacher and theologian. Miles Coverdale uh, uh, was a, a great orator and he was the first to translate the Bible into English. And so each of their names has this great significance and, and prophecy and heritage around it. Names being important, it's not a new thing. It's not something I've invented. The importance of names goes back millennia. And I'm going to go to two uh, important guides. So if you've got a Bible, turn to uh, Genesis chapter 25. It says this. In verse 21. 
Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. Everyone say pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said this to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the elder will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they called him Esau. After this, his brother came out, and with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. And the boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter and a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. And so it goes on, if you know the story. Before this, we have Abraham, this great patriarch, and he has this binding covenant with God. He has a a promise on his life uh, that he's going to be a great nation, and more than that, through him, the whole world would be blessed, and and, and we know that through Jesus. Um, And his son, Isaac, was to carry on that covenant. You know, the the promise that was made to Abraham was to carry on through Isaac. And so Isaac felt this ordained purpose on his life and he saw that he him and his wife uh, didn't have a baby and so he cried out to God God I need a child to carry on this destiny to uh, see the world blessed and it's a familiar theme in your Bibles that God uh, is called out to uh, Um, when a couple is childless and and when children are important to them and they long for them. And and again and again we find God not only replying to that prayer, but we find the the couple who cry out for a child find that their child often has a certain importance in Scripture. And so we find Rebecca is pregnant. And that is disturbing in itself. If you've ever been pregnant or ever known anyone that's pregnant, you know how hard work it is. But this one was particularly difficult pregnancy. And there was something going on here. And Becca was like, "Uh, I am a first-time mum, and I'm not sure how this is supposed to go, but this seems particularly rough. There's all sorts of movement in here, probably in like the third trimester, that I'm a little worried about. And so she asks God, why? Love that simplicity. There's a, there's a thing going on and it seems to have a, a sort of a importance. It was an answer to prayer after all. And she asks Yahweh, why? And God replies, you're going to have twins. And you can bet Rebecca goes, oh, great. You know, I just wanted one boy. That would have been enough. Two sounds trouble. And, and more than that, God says to her, you're going to have twins and they are going to represent two divergent people. So we know right from the start that these two boys are not going to skip hand in hand to primary school. They are going to be constantly at each other's throats. And he says uh, they're going to be uh, they're going to represent two divergent people and you will find one brother's people dominating the others. And uh, the human custom of the time was for the elder son to inherit a double portion of the uh, um, 
family's wealth. But this time, there will be a reversal of that human custom. Instead of the elder brother having that blessing, it would be the younger one. And the younger would be served by the elder. This human custom would be turned on its head. And finally, the time came for that nerve-wracking, gruesome, glorious moment of new life to be born. Um, I think I would have been quite happy to be born, uh, to have uh, lived around 50 years ago where it was custom for like the dad to wait out in the waiting room perhaps with the cigar ready and then just to be told, you know, you're a dad uh, rather than seeing things that you can't unsee. And uh, as Rebecca screams and the practice midwives attend, we are told something of that intimate scene. We are told that the twins are born. And the first to uh, greet the world is covered in a soft reddish hair. Um, this is uh, the one that human custom would say he's going to lead the family when the father dies. He's the one that will inherit the double portion. He's the one that will be the dominant one. And in this wonderful, glorious naming prowess, you know, I'm just so proud of uh, Isaac and Rebecca because they choose the inspiring name of Red for uh, this first kid. And uh, I'm a little disappointed, to be honest, because uh, I can imagine some great names. Uh, but so this firstborn is covered in like this fine reddish hair and they call him Esau or Red. And I'm like, okay, you know, Isaac and Rebecca, uh, this is their firstborn. They've chosen red for the first one. What are they going to choose for the second one? Perhaps something a little bit better, something a little bit more practiced. Well, we find that they call this second son uh, something else. The second child is even more remarkable than the first. The first was covered in this reddish hair. The second born is found coming out and he's clutching his older brother's heel. And this extraordinary heel grasping reminds Rebecca of her pregnancy. It reminds her of all the fighting that they got up to, even inside the womb and in this difficult pregnancy. And so he is named Heel Catcher. Wow. The lives of the boys are uh, suddenly well mapped out for them in their names. Um, Esau the red one, and Jacob, or heel catcher. And it's also got this Hebrew undertone of supplanter, of replacer, of someone a little bit devious. Uh, and, um, and Jacob and Esau are very dramatically different. They have different affections and different personalities, and their differences drive forward the narrative of the Bible uh, in, a, in a very creative way. And I'm going to read now from a bit later on in Jacob's life. By this point, this heel grasper, this supplanter, this subversive uh, brother, he's haggled, his brother's birthright away from him. He's lied to his dad and got a uh, blessing that shouldn't have been given to him. And he's conned his father-in-law out of a load of livestock. For, for someone quite young, he's done really well in living up to this title of supplanter. 
So if you've got a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 32. Just a couple of chapters on. And we're turning to verse 24. We're at a point where Jacob feels God call him back to the land of his parents and relatives. He'd had gone off. His mum had kicked him out and told him to go and find a wife. He'd landed in the land of Laban, his father-in-law. He'd arrived in the area with nothing. Uh, But now, had one wife he wanted and one wife that he was less keen on. Lovely intricacies and politics of the Middle East, um, sort of uh, uh, 4,000 years ago. And he has acquired a vast amount of wealth. Things have changed for Jacob. And um, he now feels that call to go home. And uh, so he is expecting to face a rather hostile brother. His brother has not landed on his feet in quite the same way. And uh, Jacob is a little bit terrified of what Esau is going to do. Remember, this is his hairy older brother who loved to hunt things. That's not the sort of guy that you want to cheese off. And so he's going back and he sends all of his wealth and his family ahead of him. The idea is that they kind of appease the furies of Esau the Red, Esau the Furious, Esau the uh, Cheesed Off. And so the whole family and wealth goes ahead of him and, and Jacob is left uh, uh, by uh, the ford of a river. And I'm going to read on in verse 24. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. And Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless uh, you bless me. This is this heel catcher, this supplanter, this guy who won't let anything go. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but it will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans, and you have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. And he replied, why do you ask me my name? And then he blessed him. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, uh, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. I'm going to leave it there. Under the cover of darkness, all alone, a mysterious, unnamed, undescribed stranger comes to Jacob, and he wrestles with him. And he wrestles him all night. It's a, it's a strange thing to suddenly find in the text. This, these two wrestle, and we're not given any idea of the significance or richness of it. There's just these, these two apparent men wrestling. And we find this point where Jacob seems to sense that this man is more than just a mortal man, more than someone uh, that he's having a punch-up with. 
but it is someone of significance. And, and the man wants to leave at daybreak, and, and J Jacob says, no, I'm not going to let you go. I am heel grasper, after all. And uh, he keeps him and says, yeah, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. There is, there is something here that, that, that Jacob wants to retain and keep. And we have this profound and moving question that I would have us think about this morning. What is your name, Jacob? This unknown figure, we don't know anything of his heart history or anything of his future. We don't know anything of where he came from or uh, anything about his appearance. But Jacob finds in him God. He says, you know what, I've met God face to face. And uh, he says, what's your name? And Jacob goes, my, my name is Jacob. My name is Hill Grasper. My name is Supplanter. My name is Devious. This name that I've carried all my life. This name that has represented my behaviour for, for so long. And Jacob is the one that has wrestled his brother and wrestled his father and wrestled his father-in-law. He has contended again and again with humans and, and often come off better, but not in a morally rich way. He'd, Jacob had constantly worked to make room for himself in the world, constantly fought to establish his own name by struggling with those around him. And God comes to him in the darkness of night when all his wealth is gone, when his wives are gone, uh, when he is utterly alone in the blackness and darkness of night. And God says, I've got something to tell you, Jacob. That tenacity you put in contending with men, it is better put with uh, having tenacity with me. These petty human skirmishes have done you no good, but you need to wrestle with me. And let me tell you, Jacob, your name no longer is heel grabber, but you are a God grabber now. You are not just someone that uh, clutches the heel of those around you, but you are the one that has sought to grasp God himself. And it is a seismic change in how Jacob is to see himself. He is a way, suddenly, that he is not to be dismissed as this, but he is elevated by God as something new. And ultimately, Israel will be the name not just for Jacob, but it will be the name for the entire people. This name is so significant and so rich that the entire uh, nation that comes after Jacob will be known by this name too. They will be strugglers with God. They will be God grabbers. They will fight with God and contend with him and wrestle with him. And this morning, there's a simple question. What is your name? What name have you given yourself? Or what name have you been given by other people? What have other people dismissed you as and called you out as? And said, oh, you're only that. We'll have all been dismissed or discounted or reduced by those around us. Sometimes it's by our parents and, some, and by our family. Sometimes it's by those at school or friends or even our enemies. Where we have been dismissed as something. What have our past mistakes relegated us to? So I can't do that 
because of what I once did. I'm not something more than I am. How have we been written off by others or even by ourselves because of past failures? We go, oh, I am loser, not winner. I am failure rather than overcomer. How have we chased false identities? You know, I want to be this or I want to be that. And in the end, it's hollow and meaningless. My kids at the moment, if you ask them what they want to be, they want to be a YouTuber. Oh, how my heart soars with such aspirations. And it's so easy for us to chase after stuff that in the end is no good. The goal is meaningless. Just as this meeting with God in human form was a turning point for Israel, so our encounter with Jesus should be a turning point for us. If you've got a Bible, turn to Ephesians. Um, I've helpfully deleted the reference out of my notes, but I think it's Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Yes, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, says this. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's gift that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. It wasn't made known to people in other generations as it has now. You know, the Old Testament, they didn't know how uh, salvation would pan out. But Paul was uh, told about it by Jesus. And uh, Jesus showed himself to the other apostles. And then it goes on. And uh, it wasn't made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, these non-Jews, these non-Israelites, these non-God strugglers, they're heirs together with the God strugglers, together of one body, sharing in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than, uh, less than the least of all Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles and the boundless riches of Christ. I hope you can hear something of Paul's autobiography here. Least of the apostles, but I got to preach. Um, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for past ages was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may, may approach God with freedom and confidence. Everyone say freedom. Freedom. Everyone say confidence. confidence. And I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings 
for you, which are your glory. There is no one better to make this point about names than Paul. Originally, Paul was known as Saul, and he was an enemy of the church. He was an enemy of Christ, and he worked to lock up Christians, and he worked to sentence them to death. Not just to uh, marginalize them or ridicule them. He sought their execution. He sought to use the instruments of the state to kill people that followed Jesus. But then he met Jesus. Like um, Jacob meeting this man and wrestling with him, Paul met on the Damascus Road a man who spoke to him. And Paul suddenly realised that this was the Christ who he denied was God. And suddenly Saul, the Christian killer, becomes Paul, the Christ lover. And we have this uh, uh, dramatic change in identity, uh, in affections um, and in name. And Paul is, carries this awareness of his past failures. Throughout his earthly ministry, he carried the understanding that he had killed Christians before he found Jesus. I wonder how you would feel if before uh, a preacher came up the front, they had killed Christians. You know, not just done a few misdeeds, but had been an enemy of Christ. And Paul carried it with him, and, and he goes, you know, I'm the least of the saints. I'm, 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 the, I'm barely even able to be called one. But he says, you know, I have a new identity. I have a new name. I have a new ministry. And he clings on to it with a simple confidence, not because necessarily his behaviour's changed, but because what Christ had done for him. And so... What he does, he goes to these Gentiles, these people that don't uh, even know the Hebrew name for God, don't know anything of the scriptures, and Paul comes to them and says, my friends, I was once Saul and now I am Paul. I once hated Christ and his followers and now I am their foremost advocate. He said, you Gentiles, I want you to become God grabbers too. I want you to be brought into this nation of Israel. I want you to become strugglers with God too. I want you to become part of the tribe that contends with uh, God forever. The story of Jacob becoming Israel and Saul becoming Paul are crucial reminders to us. That our old habits, our old curses, our old deceptions and our old anxieties, these things that trouble us and um, infect our walk with Christ, these things that slip us up, they can pass away. They can be left behind. They can be relegated to history. We can forget these things that trouble us. We can forget these things that have been a blight on our lives. We can embrace and live out this new identity God has for us. He calls us friend. He calls us royalty. He calls us a priesthood. All these new titles 
and we can leave behind the old ones that everyone else has called and even perhaps we have done so in our darkest moment. And so we can be transformed. The angry, the people that lose their temper can suddenly become ferocious for God. The, the timid and the, the people that, oh, I wouldn't do that, become gentle for Jesus. The stingy and the miserly, they can become wise and shrewd with the Holy Spirit. The domineering and the, and the, uh, uh, the, the, the people that are overbearing suddenly can become spiritual counsellors. Suddenly God takes what you are and says, this is what I meant it to be. Jacob, you clutched the heel of your brother, but really I wanted you to grasp hold of me. Paul, I know you wanted to ferociously uh, uh, apply the law, but what you really need is the law giver. And so each of us has aspects of our character that are unique to us. And God goes, you know that thing that is a blight on your life? Well, I want to turn it into the thing that I meant it for. The thing that I blessed you with. That it is something that is good for you and for those around you. Everything that other people would dismiss as a character flaw can be used by God for his glorious ends. We had the song earlier during communion, and it said, uh, Sister, you are more than they say. And I want you to hear that this morning. You are more than they say. You are more than you've written your off, yourself off as. You are more than you think you are capable of. Don't be held back. You have a new identity. You have a new name. You have a new mission and a purpose. You get to live out the rest of your lives. This story of redemption. And in that place of new identity, in that place of courage, in that place of belief, we can go and struggle with God. We can come into the presence of the Lion and Judah and say, God, I need this. God, I want that. I'm going to contend with you for the people around me. I'm going to contend with you for your purposes in my life. I'm going to contend with you for the lost and damned that are uh, uh, in my life every day. Lion of Judah. If I was, didn't know Jesus, I would be afraid to come anywhere near you. But I am your son. I am your daughter. I am uh, now put into this ancient tribe of God grabbers. And I'm going to get everything I possibly can for myself and those around me. I'm going to have a, uh, a freedom and confidence in your presence that will bless me and those around. Please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you change names, that you replace identities. Lord God, we thank you for this story where uh, Jacob became known as Israel. The heel grabber became a God grabber. We thank you that Saul became Paul. We thank you that this uh, Christian killer became a Christ lover. And Heavenly Father, I pray for each one of us here this morning that we would know that we are new creations, we have new names, we have new identities, that the uh, names that other people have given us, the titles 
and descriptions that other people have given us, that, Lord God, these can be relegated to the past, that you have a new future for us. You have a new purpose for us. You have a God-given mission for each of us. You have uh, good things in store for us to accomplish. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us live us out. Help us listen to your Holy Spirit and his guidance. Help us read scripture and read that over ourselves rather than what someone said 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Heavenly Father, I pray that this church should be full of people called Israel, be full of God grabbers, people that contend with you for your best, that contend with you for blessing, that will not let you go until you have done what we've asked. Heavenly Father, I just pray that over all of us in Jesus' name. Amen.